So today I get the privilege of kind of carrying us along in our new uh, sermon series this morning, Under Pressure. Under Pressure. Amen. Has anyone ever felt any pressure in their life before? Uh, you guys are good. I wish. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, pressure can come from a lot of different areas in our lives, right? And come from family, come from certain friends, our jobs, um, certain relationships that we get ourselves into. And one common area of pressure I think that we can all agree on feeling at least some point in our lives is the pressure to do something big with our lives, right? We all at some point, we want to be successful. We want to make some kind of um, mark on this world. We want to be remembered for something, right? I know one of my biggest fears in life um, that I still struggle with um, is that I end up living my life and doing nothing with the opportunities that I have before me. That is just something I'm terrified of, that I'm here today and gone tomorrow with no sort of legacy to leave behind. Um, and I think particularly in this part of the world that we live in, um, it's kind of a very fast-paced, very cutthroat, race you to the top kind of mentality, right? We have to be the best. We have to have the best uh, to compete with the neighbors next door. Um, and it all kind of contributes to that. Has anyone ever felt that before in their lives? The title of my message this morning is Do It Big. Do It Big. Someone turn to your neighbor and say, Do It Big this morning. Yeah. We're going to continue looking at the life of King David, someone who definitely lived a big life. And did you know that with the exception of Jesus, more is written about King David than anyone else in the Bible? 66 chapters are devoted to his story. There are 600 references to him in the Old Testament and 59 references to him in the New Testament. We all know the story about David and Goliath, how when David was just a young boy, probably only a teenager, he killed a literal giant with just a slingshot. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I am a whole grown man, and you probably would not catch me doing that, so definitely a big life that David lived. He would eventually end up being king over all of Israel and being used powerfully by God. Talk about doing it big. Before he was 20, he probably lived a more exciting and fulfilling life than most people do in their entire lifetimes. So what was his secret? Was he just lucky? Was he at the right place at the right time? Did he just know the right people? No, the reason he was able to do it big, the reason why he was able to be used so powerfully by God was that he was really good at doing it small. He was really good at doing it small. In other words, he was faithful in the little things in his life, so God trusted him with the big things. That is what I want to focus in on this morning. And David's story uh, begins kind of in the middle of King Saul's story. If you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you know that Israel didn't have a king for many years. They were led by these people called judges. But at one point in Israel's history, they said, hey, I, we want a king just like all these other nations around us. And God eventually gave them what they thought that they wanted. The first king in Israel's history was Saul. The Bible says he was tall and handsome. He came from a family of good standing. He really looked the part. On paper, he was really everything that you would want in a leader, right? Saul had one problem, though. And this problem would follow him throughout his entire time that he served as the king of Israel. And his problem was this. He wanted the power and the opportunities that kingship provided more than he wanted to obey and please God. Let me give you a few examples of that. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Israel is about to fight the Philistines. 
Saul is told by God not to begin the battle until the prophet Samuel arrives for a sacrifice, acknowledging that God is the one who ultimately delivers them from their enemies, not their military, not King Saul, that God would be the one that delivers them. The Bible says, or sorry, when the the Philistines start to show up and their army is absolutely massive. It is enormous. The Bible says that they had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and more soldiers than the sand on a beach. I don't know. If I, if I was them, I would probably be shaking in my sandals a little bit too. They began to run and hide in the surrounding caves. They, some of them even crossed the Jordan River to go back into Israel. They're like, see, I'm out. I'm not getting involved in that at all. Um, And Saul is watching this, and he's still no sign of Samuel. He's thinking, where is this guy? If he takes any longer, I'm not going to have any more men to fight this battle. They're all running away, right? But that's a lesson in and of itself. When we start to see the circumstances in front of us change, we start to doubt God's plan, and we start to doubt God's direction in our lives. And Saul gives us an example of exactly what not to do in this situation. He says, I'm not going to have any more men to fight this battle. I've got to do something here. So what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands. He disobeys what God had told him to do, and he offers up the sacrifice himself, something that kings in that time were not allowed to do and something that was directly against what God had commanded him. When Samuel finally arrived, he rebuked Saul and said, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of, the, of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Ouch, that hurts. Later on in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Israelites were fighting another nation, the Amalekites. Normally, when you were in a battle in that time and you won, you, the spoils go to the victor, right? But in this instance, God gave Saul, again, specific instructions, and he said, I want you to destroy everything. Do not keep anything. Don't bring anything back with you. Sounds simple enough, right? Sounds pretty crystal clear instructions. But once again, what does Saul do? He disobeys God, and he brought all that loot back, all the best livestock, all the riches, and he even sets up a monument to honor his own victory. And when Samuel confronted Saul, he did a little something I like to call the old sin spin. The old sin spin. He puts a spin on his sin and tries to justify it. Anyone know anyone like that? No, no one here. Definitely no one here. Saul said, listen, Samuel, the reason I brought all this livestock back was so I could sacrifice them to God. I don't know what you're talking about. But in other words, I disobeyed for deeply spiritual reasons. Oof. You see, we think it's funny. We, it sounds ridiculous to us, right, when we read it. But the reality is, if we're being honest with ourselves, is we do that all the time in our lives, too. We cover our sins. We know what lies to tell ourselves. We know what lies to tell the people around us to keep our consciousness at bay, to keep people off our back, to keep people from keeping us accountable with things, right? And listen to this absolutely savage response by the prophet Samuel to Saul. He says, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. 
So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Wow. These two verses alone may be the lesson for some of us here today. Maybe you're sitting there and, you know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You know, this is like your second week in a row getting to church on time. You know, you're in your Sunday best. All your neighbors were still in their houses sleeping. You know, you made it out to church. Maybe you made a nice offering online. You're feeling good. Uh, you serve here a couple times a month. Everything's going great. And don't get me wrong. All those things are, are great, awesome things. They're signs of a healthy Christian. But couldn't these verses just as easily read to us, does the Lord delight in perfect church attendance? Does the Lord delight in big offerings and serving at your church as much as obedience? Is it better, it is better to obey than to sacrifice, right? Because at the end of the day, God is looking at our hearts. He's looking at our hearts. What God wants from us on a daily basis is that we obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. You will obey me. So if you do all these great things for God, if you show up every Sunday, if you serve on 10 different serve teams, if you lead a life group, if you do all these things but you don't love him and you don't obey his commands, what is the point, right? If you're up here with your arms raised at the altar every Sunday and you forget about him Monday to Saturday, what are you really doing it for? Saul is thinking that he's smarter than God, right? He's thinking that his plans are better than God's plans. And as a result of that, God takes his hand of blessing off of his life. Sure, he would remain king a little while longer, but he would never be effective again. So it's in the middle of this story that King David's story begins. And it's important for us to see that so we can see how the contrast of how King Saul leads and how King David would one day lead as well. So if you have your Bibles on, you will have the verses up here on the screens as well. I invite you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16 with me. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll start in verse 1 here. So it says this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. This is the one that I was sent for. This is God's chosen man, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, what does he say? Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. All the short people in God's house said, amen. <laughs> the Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but what? The Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, another one of Jesse's sons. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. 
Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. And I'm sure Samuel's getting like really confused at this point, right? He's like, God, are you sure? Like, did you miss one? Am I at the right house here? Did I take a wrong turn or something? So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And that's a really important verse, actually. Scholars agree that David was probably around 10 years old at this time. And in that culture, young men didn't come of age until they were 13. So really, he was pretty much considered like a non-person at this, at this moment. So the fact that Samuel would hold up the entire feast for this 10-year-old boy that people would not even consider a person is incredible, and that God chose this person over all the, the strongest, the oldest, the, the best-looking, the tallest, the, all, the, all the credentials that the world says would make him a great king. God doesn't look at any of that. He chooses the 10-year-old boy who's out with the sheep. So he sent for him and had, brought, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So again, what was it that made God choose David to be his anointed and his chosen one? What was it? How was David able to do such big things for God? David had a heart after God. That was the real test. God saw right through all of the outward appearances and what the world says makes someone great and powerful, what would make them a great leader. But what does it mean really to have a heart after God? Because if you've been in church long enough, I'm sure you've heard that phrase thrown around millions of times. What does that actually mean? I heard it put this way, and I really like this. Having a heart after God describes someone's life that is living in complete harmony with God. When you have a heart after God, you are living in harmony with God. In other words, what's important to God is important to you. What what burdens God burdens your heart. When God says, go to the right, what do you do? Go to the right, right? When God says, stop that sin in your life, you stop that sin in your life. You have a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you're perfect or, you know, you never sin anymore or that you're some holier-than-thou religious type person. It means that you put obeying God and you put loving God over your own wants and desires in your life. It means that you have a sensitive, a, a caring, a responsive heart So let me ask you to be honest with yourself this morning, and don't give me the Sunday morning church answer this morning. Do you have a heart after God? Do you have a heart after God? If you do, God will use you in big, big ways. God can open doors that that you never thought would be possible, opportunities that you never thought would be possible for you in your life. Let me tell you something. If you told me years ago that I would be up here preaching on a Sunday morning to you guys, I literally would have laughed in your face and called you crazy. But by God, by allowing God to change our hearts, to, to renew our minds, right, to give us a heart after him, Um, being faithful and diligent in what seems like the little things at the time in our lives, right? It shows God that we're ready to be trusted. We can be trusted to take that next step in our lives. That's how we get to live these big lives for God. That's how we get to be used powerfully by God. And I love what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. 
It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those who heart, whose hearts are fully committed to him. Strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for those types of people. For people with hearts that are completely sold out for him. Not partially committed, not twice a month, only on Sundays committed, not only on Christian, I mean, I'm sorry, on Christmas and Easter committed. I'm talking in every day, no matter what circumstances surround you, no matter what your feelings say about it, no matter what it looks like, commitment to God. See, that's where the disconnect is for some of us, though, right? We want the strength of God without giving him the commitment part of it. We want God to strengthen us. We pray for God to strengthen us through these trials, through these things that we, that we go through in life. But when things are going good, we put them on the back burner. There's no commitment there for us, right? We want the strength of God without giving him the commitment. That's half the equation. That, that we, then we turn around and we get mad at him when we feel like he doesn't answer us, right? That would literally be like me trying to pay for my meal at a restaurant, knowing I have no money on my card, and then getting mad at the server when they come back and tell me that my card's declined. It's ridiculous, right? But we do this all the time in our relationship with God. If we want the strength of God, if we want to be used by God in big and powerful ways in our lives, we need to be committed to him, and we need to be faithful with what he's trusted us with now. And not only did David have a heart after God, he was also given a vision from God. Remember when Samuel anointed David? No one knew what the purpose of that anointing was at the time, right? Samuel couldn't just come right out and say, hey, I'm anointing you to be the next king of Israel because Saul was already the king of Israel. So that would have been a little awkward. Um, now, it would be years before David would actually take the throne and become king, but when Samuel poured that oil over David's head, I believe he knew in that moment that God called him and set him apart for a specific purpose, and that purpose would then become the driving force behind every decision that David would make moving forward. That was the vision that God gave him for his life. Now, while God probably hasn't called any of us to be kings or queens here, unless, I mean, I don't think so. If you feel like you have that calling, we can talk after service for sure. Um, but he has chosen us to be his sons and daughters and carry his kingdom forward here on this earth and be recipients of an amazing salvation. The Bible says that the minute you place your trust in Jesus and accepted him as, a, as your savior, a bunch of amazing things happened in your life immediately. Check this out. The same Holy Spirit that came and filled David when he was anointed came to live in you too. You became a brand new person with a brand new identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says the old life is gone and the new life has begun. Your sins were forgiven, all of them, past, present, even your future sins, ones that you haven't even committed yet, have been paid with the blood of Jesus. You became a member of God's family. God gifted you uniquely to serve him. And see, I was someone that struggled for a very, very long time with finding purpose in their life. When I graduated high school, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I just kind of began drifting through life and uh, you know, doing what I wanted to do. Um, and just kind of going in every direction. I would pray and beg God to show me some kind of sign, some kind of writing on the wall so that I would know that I was where I needed to be, that I knew I was doing the right thing, right? I always felt like those prayers just kind of fell on deaf ears, though, if I'm being honest. I, I felt like I never got an answer that I was looking for, right? I felt like my worst fear was coming true in my life and that my life was flying by and I had nothing to do about it and there was no purpose behind it. 
But the truth is, is that in the same way that God had a plan for David's life, God has a plan for our lives. In the same way God has called and anointed David, he's called and anointed each one of us here as well. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Believe it or not, long before you were born, God looked into the future and he saw you. He made some plans for your life, some assignments that he knew that only you could carry out in his name. Perhaps, I mean, sorry, the people that he knew only you would be able to reach in your life, that you would only be able to come in contact with, conversations that he knew that only you would be able to have in his name. The question is, have you made yourself available to him in that calling? Have you said, here I am, Lord, send me. God, please use me. You want to talk about doing it big in your life and being successful and being fulfilled. There is nothing in this world that will ever satisfy you like a life that is fully devoted to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. See, God has given us a purpose. God has given us an identity that is so much greater than anything we could end up doing with our lives here on this earth. He's called us to be his hands and his feet, to partner with him as his church to reach this world and make disciples in his name. To love people when they are undeserving, to lead, to heal people when they are broken, and to proclaim his name until the day he returns. That is your purpose in this life. And if you follow that, I promise you God will fill in the blanks everywhere else. The last reason that David was able to be used by God in a big way was because he had faith in God's plans for his life. He had faith in God's plan for his life. After Samuel anointed David to be Israel's next king, what did David do? He went back to tending his sheep. He didn't walk around in a robe and a crown and make everyone call him king, right? No, he just went back home, just picked up where he left off. He continued to do the things that got him to that point. To be faithful to protecting those few sheep. He might be a king one day, but today, still just a shepherd boy. He knew he needed to be faithful in that job for God to be able to take him to the next level and trust him with leading his people one day. By the way, that's where David learned to use that slingshot that he used on, to defeat Goliath. In that part of the world, it was really common for lions and bears and all kinds of omis to attack the, to attack the sheep. Um, and it was a shepherd's responsibility to protect them. See, that's why you can't skip stages in the process that God has you in, right? You are learning things now that you don't even know that you'll need down the road. Imagine if David went right from being anointed to being king, right, as a 10-year-old kid. He wouldn't be ready for any of the battles that he had to face, that God was calling him to. And it's the same in our lives. We need to learn to trust God's timing and God's process and his plan for our lives. And I encourage you to embrace that process this morning as I ask our worship team to come forward and I close this out. See, David was able to be used in a big and powerful ways by God because he was faithful in the little things and he had a heart that was completely sold out to God. 
It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, what mistakes you've made, how unworthy you may feel, how broken you may feel. When you have a heart after God, he uses you powerfully. In fact, the Bible says it's in our weakness and our brokenness that God shines through the brightest in our lives. So if you're there this morning, if you feel weak, if you feel broken, if you feel unworthy to be used by God for his plans and his purposes, I've got amazing news for you. You are in a perfect spot for God to do something big in your life. Let's worship together.